Thank you for listening to this Aspen podcast discussing the paper, Developing Guidance for Feeding Tube Administration of Oral Medications. My name is Kenneth Christopher, and I am Editor-in-Chief of JPEN. Today, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Mark Klang, the Core Manager of Research Pharmacy at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Dr. Klang is a pharmacist who specializes in drug development. Dr. Klang is the senior and solo author of the JPEN original research article we will discuss. Dr. Klang, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. When this paper came across my desk, I was really, really interested in it. Specifically, what was the motivation for you to do this very ambitious project? I've been working on drugs going through feeding tubes for a long time. My thesis for my PhD was on phenytoin, and there's been a lot of controversies about phenytoin holding the tube feeding. My um, mentor, Dr. Joxberger, he had a daughter who had a uh, head injury, got the phenytoin, and they couldn't control the levels. He says, you have to solve this. Well, that was back in 2006. So as that process occurred, I got more and more involved. 2013, I had a student, Susan Eng, who wanted to do a project, and we did a project together repeating uh, a study done by Cutie and Altman, looking at liquid medications and whether or not they would clog feeding tubes. Well, we repeated that study, and we got that published in JPEN, and that looked at liquid medications and their osmolalities as well. That grew into more stuff. More people asked questions. It grew into pediatric nurses decided that they needed more guidance when they were placing NG tubes. So they needed more guidance. And as it grew and as it grew until about 2011, we decided, well, let's cover them all. And that's where it started. Wow, that's impressive. So how, how long did the project take to complete? The project that got published just now is from 2011. That's where we started to work with, I had students coming into my lab originally, volunteers worked the summer type of thing. Later, we uh, linked up with both St. John's University and Loyola University. We had students uh, coming in in their rotations. And when we weren't developing a drug for Sloan Kettering, then we took that time to each student would examine 10 drugs, prepare a worksheet, identify the issues associated with them, dissolve them, et cetera. And that's where it came from. That's absolutely fantastic. Such a long ranging type of uh, piece of scholarship. Can you describe how the physical evaluation of the oral medication was performed? We wanted to mimic the same process that was occurring when a nurse would crush up a medication on the floor. They had a device that was called the quiet crusher. You'd pump the thing and it uh, pounded the stuff into a powder and they would mix that with water. Well, how much water did you add? How, how fast will that product dissolve? Will it dissolve? Should it be crushed? Will it change the properties of the delivery of the drug? We needed to examine each of these things. The students timed it. They wrote down how many times it needed the crusher in order to bring that stuff to a powder. We wanted to know how much effort was needed. Did it dissolve fully? Could you withdraw the product with a syringe? Take a 10cc syringe. See if you can pull it up in syringe. Do you need more fluid in order to get it all in syringe? Then how are we going to mimic 
Will it clog the feeding tube? Will it go smoothly through? So we use the, um, if you worked in a lab, you've seen uh, cell sorters where they have the 100 micron mesh screen. And that we figured at 100 microns, if the particle is going to be over 100 microns, they're going to start getting a little clumpy together. So if it doesn't pass through that screen, and a lot of drugs have a lot of cellulose in them, and the cellulose doesn't dissolve, will it accumulate on that screen? And that's one of the pr properties that we looked at. We also wondered about this. A while back, we looked at liquid medications. And liquid medications all have very high osmolarities. So that can be poorly tolerated in the GI tract. So if we crush up the drug, are we going to avoid that? And we needed to understand that. So we measured the osmolality of each and every medication. Did it interpret it? We also measured the pH. Because the pH plays a role in terms of whether or not the drug's going to be ionized. If the ice gets ionized in the stomach, okay, we're good to go. Because there, we wanted, we wanted to ionize so the drug dissolves. But what if it didn't? What if it had a very high pH and it will not... We look at the pKa. Look at the pKa and look at the pH of the product to see whether or not it would be delivered into the jejunum. So all this type of information we collected, put it into a worksheet, and that's how we came up with our results. Yeah, and the scope and the depth and the breadth of the project is, in my experience, absolutely astounding. What would you find the most difficult part of completing the project was? Implementing it. That's it. And we're in that process right now, but we're doing very well. It really depends, even though I did this study and I did it with the students, et cetera, to implement this into the clinical setting, you need a lot of cooperation. It's pretty much what Aspen is all about, a multiple disciplinary approach. We needed the people, uh, pharmacists with the computer uh, entry systems. We needed pharmacists that were working in interpreting my chemistry language into a applicable language. We needed ways for the order entry system to allow for the prescriber to be alerted when a drug going through the feeding tube, whether or not it's gonna be a risk and advise them also what sort of directions they should give in terms of that administration. And of course, we need the nurses to be on board as well. We needed the food service to be on board using the routes of administration that they're using. So that is still a work in progress and that's the next paper. That's excellent. I was struck when I read your paper, how well communicated uh, the paper was and that's, Obviously, part of what you need to do is you need to communicate that message beyond, let's say, the, the, the research pharmacy type of environment. And I thought that you did that very successfully. I think that that was in part um, your efforts to communicate uh, with so many different uh, providers and so many different uh, professionals in terms of getting this information across, helping people understand the importance of the actual work itself. So kudos to you. Uh, absolutely. Can you tell me what was your most surprising findings? Some of the drugs we found did not, were actually pro-drugs. Take for example, one of them uh, was enalapril. And enalapril actually required the acidity of the stomach in order to be converted into its active form in order to be absorbed in the jejunum. This becomes a, a significant issue, especially for patients at Sloan Kettering. We have found that the best way to feed patients here, cancer patients, was into the jejunum in many cases. If we could use the gut, it was always the beneficial way of administering nutrition. 
So we were able to get nutrition into the genome, bypassing the stomach in many cases. But when we bypass the stomach, we're bypassing the acidic issues that allow many drugs to be moved into an active form. And that's where we found there was a number of drugs that just needed an acid exposure in order to be delivered. Only, I think it was only one drug that really needed um, actually getting absorbed in the stomach. That was the anosylcysteine. It didn't show up on our on our report. Another thing was interesting. We looked at liquid medications. I told you earlier about the osmolality. Some of the oral medications, the tablets, actually produce a very high osmolality. Uh, a metformin, mesna, calcium acetate. So in those cases where it produces a high osmolality and might cause more GI issues, we found if we diluted those drugs, we'd be on a safe, safe level. So Dr. Klang, can you tell me why is the topic important and why is it important that this paper is published? It's all about the patients. That's where our care is. Our care is all about providing good care to our patients. And one of the best, best things you want to avoid when you're dealing with patients who have a feeding tube, you want to avoid clogs. And the clogged feeding tube sometimes can be as solid as cement. And so drugs form the nastiest clogs. Uh, we found uh, there was a whole, we found in one issue, a lot of people were using magnesium oxide. Magnesium oxide is solid as a rock, doesn't dissolve very well. And even when you crush it, it becomes a poor slurry. And also it's a terrible source of magnesium. So we found that clogging the feeding tubes is clearly what we want to avoid. Excellent. If you had to do this ambitious project over, which of course would take over 10 years, what would you change? We're assuming I'm going to have wonderful funding. <laughs> <laughs> and with wonderful funding, I'd actually like to use actual feeding tubes as the model for whether or not the feeding tube would get clogged. I think I'm kind of expensive. It was easier to use the cell sorters uh, type of thing. Another thing I'd like to find out what about the actual absorption? We're making assumptions here about the delivery of this drug. Clearly, dissolution is a rate-limiting step for drug delivery, and that we kind of covered with looking at our products. But what if we see if there's a change in absorption? I'd like to see an animal model to see whether or not, I don't think they're going to let me use human models. We're just going to go out on a limb there. But if we use animal models, uh, we might be able to find out where these drugs are actually absorbing, whether or not crushing them is going to change the kinetics. The thing I found most attractive about the paper was the practicality of the research question, the importance of feed tubing clogging and the lack of information that was available. One other question that I have for you is for our listeners, what advice do you have for others who might be considering attempting such ambitious and long-term projects? Persevere, keep going after it, even if it takes a long time. I was younger then, I'm older now. It's important to keep going after it. It's important to keep following up. Actually, this project is not over. We're, we're constantly changing. We have um, every time the PNT meets, they bring me new drugs and each of those we evaluate. So this, this table that you see here, that was a while ago. Mm. We've added at least 30 other drugs to that table since then. 
and it's going to evolve. But now we have a template. We have a mechanism to evaluate the drugs and we're growing. That's absolutely excellent work. Really, it is like a magnum opus. And I look forward to a revision of this in the coming years where we can add the many different drugs that you evaluate over time. Um, so I consider this paper in a way a living paper. So I look forward to seeing more of, of this particular work. But I wanted to thank you, Dr. Klang, for your expertise and your experience. It was an absolute delight to discuss your work. It was a delight to read your work and to review your work. Um, we also want to thank our audience for listening to this Aspen podcast. And to support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. This is Kenneth Christopher signing off. Thank you very much. <laughs>